This week on TSR, the World Cup begins. We went on a mouse droid marathon. Wonder Woman travels to 1984. And we examine the importance of fanfiction. All that and more on this episode of TSR. Listeners, we are back. This is TSR episode 190. Uh, hi, Nancy. Hi, Brian. Uh, so we were busy this weekend. We were. Well, uh, halfway busy. Yeah, halfway busy. Uh, got in, you know, 25,000 steps, uh, doing a little thing we wanted, we uh, called the Mouse Droid Marathon. Yeah, I think we only called it once. But. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's what we dubbed it at the beginning, so we're sticking to it. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah. Why did we do this? Uh, because we got it in our heads that we wanted to hit all four Disney or uh, Walt Disney World theme parks in one day. Yes, we did. And uh, so we embarked on that. And, and 20- we wanted to go on Flight of Passage again, <laughs> and we couldn't get a fast pass for it. Yep. So it's either get there at rope drop or wait the two hours at the end of the day. So we waited the two hours at the end of the day. Yes. So yeah, 25,000 steps later, yep. we completed that marathon. Yes, we did. We did go home in the middle of the day. We are able to do that as people who live near Disney World. But uh, we started out at Magic Kingdom. Uh, we wanted to get there for a park opening, but we did not. Uh, that is our next challenge. Uh but we got to Magic Kingdom. We did two rides there and the Tiki Room. We did Splash Mountain. Then we went on the – did the Tiki Room, and then we did the People Mover. Then we hopped over to Epcot. We had a Living with the Land Fast Pass, which we just made. We walked around the World Showcase, got a baguette from France. Then we went in Spaceship Earth and Finding Nemo. Then we went home for – brief swim before it started thundering <laughs> and then we uh chilled out had dinner made another fast pass for star tours which we ended up not needing because we got to hollywood studios like around six ish and star tours was almost only like a 10 minute wait so we canceled our fast pass made a fast pass for dinosaur at animal kingdom so we did Star Tours, we did the launch bay, which we hadn't seen the new movie yet, so we got to see that. And then we went over to Animal Kingdom, at which time I was able to grab a fast pass. I changed our fast pass from Dinosaur to Kilimanjaro Safari. So that was fun, because we did I, that at night. I really like the nighttime variant they do of the Safari. Yeah, me too. Uh, after that, we did Dinosaur, because that was basically a walk-on. And then we went over to... Pandora, we just sat around outside the canteen for a while, uh, got some water, went to the bathroom, and hopped in the Flight of Passage line at 10.20, which was 10 minutes before park open, or park close, um, and the posted wait time was 140 minutes when we got in, um, and I have a picture that I took of us after we got off the ride as we were exiting that was time-stamped. 12.07 a.m. <laughs> so it was less than two hours. It, no, it was less than an hour and 50 minutes for us to get through the whole line and the ride itself, which there's two pre-shows and the ride. So I I don't know how long those all last, but I want to say like 15 minutes probably between the two pre-shows, the ride, all the loading stuff. I'd say it's at least 15 minutes. Yeah, it's around 15 minutes. So... um. So, yeah, if you just think, you know, we probably got in the ride around, like, 11.55, which, I mean, it's pretty, it's still quicker than what they posted. And they were operating at reduced capacity because they said there were technical difficulties. So, uh, that's, you know, it would have been faster otherwise. So, hopefully next time we do that, it'll go faster and we'll only be in there, like, an hour. But, yeah, that's their secret. 
if you want to go flight of passage go like right before the park closes and the line will go super fast because they stop letting fast pass people ahead of you because <laughs> they don't have any more after the park is closed mm-hmm. um so that was our marathon and it was super fun and tiring we got home at like what one o'clock one fifteen one thirty yeah Thankfully, they still had a tram operating at the end of the day. That tram was Bless. supposed to. That tram was supposed to stop. Yeah. Before we I think, got on. I mean, I think they just pretty much wait until everyone's gone from flight of passage. Like they know. Yeah. Like they have. They have a cast member that their whole job is to direct people out of Pandora after going on flight of passage at night. <laughs> They they block off the rest of the area because they don't want you going in the rest of Pandora. And they're like, nope, move along, move along. Um, so, yeah, that was our fun four park challenge. I've never done four parks in one day. And it was fun. Yeah, it was a blast. And uh, for those of you wondering why I wanted to do this, um, I I became aware of this challenge a while ago called the Parkeology WDW 47, 46, 49, however many rides there are at the time. Um, it's a, Parkeology is a website focused on Disney, and the guys who run it basically created this challenge back in 2013. Actually, the anniversary was of it was Friday, it was Saturday while we were doing this, um, to ride every ride in Walt Disney World in one operating day. And people were like, it's impossible. You can't do it. Um, They almost did it the first time, except they fell two rides short because of weather. Um, We were watching that video yesterday, and it was hilarious because they did not have Mine Train anymore. (laughs) They did not have Mine Train yet. Like, that's how old this was. And they still had paper fast passes. (laughs) So that was like... It was it was really weird to see like the the paper fast passes and everything uh, when they were doing that, but um so they they have kept updating the challenge, and basically it's or sorry for the distraction our cat just opened up our <laughs> gate <laughs> in the bedroom, uh, but yeah so they they created the challenge and they actually completed it um, the next year. And people have completed it since Pandora has opened, which is very difficult. Uh, And now it's going to go through another evolution because Toy Story Land opens at the end of the month. So that's going to be really interesting because it's still really hard to get a fast pass for for Flight of Passage. So I want to... I've never actually seen a fast pass for it available. I I, haven't haven't either, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how they they do that challenge. because right now the whole strategy is do Pandora rope drop and then go to Magic Kingdom because you have to do the vehicles which are only operating a certain time of the day and end at Magic Kingdom because, you know, the mine train usually has the longest wait time. So you hop in there at the end of the day and as long as you're in line when the park is closed, you're good. So now I'm one and also Magic Kingdom is always open the latest. So I'm like, how is this going to work? Like, you can't just hop in Flight of Passage line at Park Close unless it's like, I don't know, 7 o'clock. So I don't know. I'm really interested to see once once Toy Story Land opens and people start doing the challenge again. But anyway, the point is, I've become obsessed with this and like strategizing, even though I can never actually do this challenge because I can't do spinning rides. But we're going to do a challenge, Brian. We are. Should I tell them what our challenge is that I have advice? Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not hard. I no, mean, it's our, hard. But our, our next mini park challenge is going to be twenty-five rides at Magic Kingdom in one operating day. And twenty-five rides is the number of rides at Magic Kingdom. However, we are we are not doing the spinning rides, so I don't barf. Um, and we are going to substitute either other attractions or other rides to make it an even. 25 so that will be our skill of getting there on time doing things at the time they are available and fast passes (laughs) so i think we have the subject for our next mouse droid yeah because we're going to do that the day before we do it Mm -hmm, correct hopefully we complete our challenge 
We'll find out. <laughs> Stay tuned. So, All yes. right. And uh, hey, and other fun stuff. The World Cup began last week, and I've been watching a bunch of it both at home and at work. You have been. Mm-hmm. I think I've caught pretty much every match. Really? Yeah. Do you just have it on while you work? Yeah, I've got it on one of my monitors at work, uh, as I well wish. as everyone else in my office. I, Everyone's got, everyone has the World Cup playing on one of their monitors. I wish I could do that. Why don't you, like, go in your break room area and watch it? Well, because I occasionally have things I have to do at my desk. Oh, whatever. Sometimes I'm out in the break so room. So who are you rooting for, Brian? Chaos. Chaos. I am rooting for chaos. Um, since I have no vested rooting interest, uh, I want the crazy outcomes to happen. So I want big upsets. I want just crazy things happening on the field. Uh, whatever produces the most entertainment, I am here for this World Cup. What has been the craziest moment of the World Cup so far? Um, It's probably Mexico beating Germany 1-0. Really? Yeah. I mean, Mexico's a good team, but Germany is powerhouse Germany. Right. And shutting them out and winning is just crazy. So, yeah, that was great. That was a good game. I, I actually got to watch that one. So, yeah. Yay. Yay, soccer. soccer. Too bad U.S. isn't in it this year. <laughs> Good news, they're automatically qualified for 2026. <laughs> Hopefully they can get it next time. Uh, yeah, Where I, is uh, the next World Cup? Uh, Morocco. Oh. No, not Morocco. Um, that was the bid country. Yeah, that was who we were bidding against. Uh, what year is it? 2022? 2022. Uh, let's Google. Qatar. Oh, right. Oh, really? Qatar in the summer. That's going to be great. No, November 21st, 2022 to December 18th, 2022. Did they shift it to a winter window? Yeah, that's what it says. Huh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so, yep, World Cup, awesome. Yep. Time for the news. Time for the news. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 begins filming. Yay! I'm excited. Are you excited? I am excited. I loved Wonder Woman, and I'm super excited for the sequel. Um, I was really wondering how they were going to do it, because they were like, oh, it's going to be Wonder Woman in modern times. And I'm like, that's boring. <laughs> uh, but also, like, I'm I, I'm kind of annoyed, because like I would have really liked to see Wonder Woman in like World War II era, you know? Um, considering the first one is World War I. Um, but... They posted some screen caps, or not screen caps, but set pictures of uh, Chris Pine and Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot, or Gadot. I don't even, I don't remember how to pronounce her name. Gadot. Is, is it Gadot? Yeah. Okay. Um, her as in waiting for. But that's good. G O D O T. I know. <laughs> anyway, Gal Gadot in eighties clothes. And uh, very colorful. Um, and yeah, so Chris Pine was in one of the set pictures. What does that mean, Brian? <laughs> uh, it means we all get to stare at Chris Pine's lovely, lovely eyes. Okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking more in the realm of, huh? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I got nothing for you on that. I can't even begin to explain it. Yeah, so for those of you who don't rem remember or didn't see Wonder Woman... Why not? But uh, Steve Trevor dies? He kind of got exploded a he, bit. He exploded his plane and the bombs in it. So, like, to save other people. And apparently he's there in 1984. So there's been some theories about how this is possible. Um, is he the real Steve? Is he a clone? Is he uh, someone else? Is he a, it's, is it just a vision? I don't know, Brian. I have no, I don't know anything about Wonder Woman, so. Uh, I, I've got, I've got even less DC knowledge than I have Marvel knowledge, so I'm not going to be of any help for you here. But yeah, I'm excited for this. Um, I don't care how they do it. I figure if you can chop people in half in movies and have them come back to life, why not Steve Trevor? We didn't see a body. 
Nobody means that they're not dead. Not the first Steve to come back to Mm -mm. life. Not the first Steve. (laughs) Uh, Captain Marvel is to be scored by a female composer, Pinar Toprak, who studied under Hans Zimmer. Uh, She is currently scoring the sci-fi show Krypton and wrote additional music for Justice League, and I am very excited about that. Yeah. So we talk a lot about diversity and representation and the need for it, uh, both behind and in front of the camera. But um, you think about it, there really aren't a lot of female composers doing movie scores. And I don't know why. (laughs) Like... There, I don't, I don't know why, Brian. <laughs> uh, I, I don't either. But this is a very awesome movie. Did you see Captain Marvel is releasing on International Women's Day? Is it really? It is. Aww. Well, now I know how to celebrate by well, seeing a Captain Marvel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to see it the day before. Yeah. I'm going to see it Thursday night because I'm excited, and I, I'm ready. I, I'm really. Not looking forward to be ha- getting fake geek girled about this movie because I didn't read the Captain Marvel comic. I have no plans to read the Captain Marvel comic, and people are going to be like, "Well, you don't know anything about Captain Marvel. Why are you excited? Is it just because she's a girl?" And I'm going to be like, "Yes, it is just because she's a girl." <laughs> so screw you. Let me be excited about something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So in other in book news, uh, news relevant to our interests. Uh, you read this book, Brian. I did. And you were very excited about it. John Scalzi finished The Consuming Fire, which is the sequel to The Collapsing Empire, and it comes out October 16th. Collapsing Empire is a fantastic book that ends on one hell of a mean cliffhanger. It does, and I warned you about that. <laughs> you you did, and I still wasn't prepared. Oh, you have. there's a funny story about you finishing that book. Oh, yeah. Um, you should tell that story. <laughs> we were on a Disney cruise. <laughs> what else is new? Yeah. And I was sitting at the outdoor uh, outdoor bar by the adults only beach, uh, reading the book while you were, uh, I think you were off biking. Um, I get to the end of the book. <laughs> and again, it cannot be overstated how much of a cliffhanger that ending is. And... You come back just after I'd finished it, and you see that I've got this really pissed off look on my face. And I think you just said, oh, I'll finish the book, huh? Yep. It's not even like it's a cliffhanger, like a typical cliffhanger. Like, like there's a big action sequence, and you don't know if someone's going to die, or if, like, you don't know, like, oh, what just happened? Or even, like, the end of Infinity War, where you're just like, what the hell? Like, it's literally like, I know how to fix this. How? Book ends. And you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, I knew it was going to be, I knew there was going to be a sequel, and I knew it was a cliffhanger, because Scalzi warned people, and I was still like, But the good news, we've got the next book coming out October 16th. Yeah, and there's going to be another one. It's going to be a trilogy. Was it always a trilogy? Nope. It was. I think it was only two books, and they added a third. So I'm excited. Excellent. But yeah, it is um, 20, uh, October 16th. That's really short. Like, this is a really, 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 really short turnaround for a book. Um, that's like, what? What's today? June 16th? Mm-hmm. Is it June or whatever? It's June something. So it's like... Uh, June 18th. Yeah. July, August, September. Four months. Four months to get a book edited, copy edited, printed. That is not so, a long time. Yeah. Scalzi and his editor are going to be working overtime mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean, the the draft has to be done well before October. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's done. So I think the only thing he has to do now is just address whatever comments the editor has or like but Scalzi is notorious for do for writing very clean drafts mm-hmm. like Scalzi is not the type of writer who writes a first draft and then like strips basically it down, rewrites it strips yeah. it down to the, which uh, i hate him for <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'm excited for that book uh another book i'm really excited for that doesn't come out until 2020 
but I didn't know this was happening. So uh, Rainbow Roll announced at BookCon and then on her Twitter, uh, Wayward Son, which is the sequel to Carry On, which you get it. Do you get it? You get I, it? I, I get it. You get it? I get it. Um, and that will come out in 2020. Uh, Carry On was a Tashi Station book club pick, uh, I believe right after we started the book club. And it is, um, it's a really hard book to describe. And it's it's a very good book to talk about with uh, considering our fanfic topic today. Um, Rainbow Roll wrote a book called Fangirl, which was a a, a I don't know if I would like qualify it as YA because the character was in college, but um, it's basically a book about a girl in her freshman year of college, and she writes fanfic. Um, and the the series that she's writing fanfic for is called Simon Snow, and it's basically Harry Potter, her version of Harry Potter. And um, the the uh, the fanfic that she's writing is called Carry On Simon or something like that. Um, and people really liked it, even though it's, like, a fanfic this character is writing. And people had asked, like, will you ever write, like, a this book? And so she decided to write the book. <laughs> but this is, se- it's this very is super meta. meta. But it's very weird because she has said, so the character in that story is called Kath. And Kath... This is not Kath's version of the story. It's not the actual version of Simon Snow, like that Gemma T, whatever her name is, that she wrote. This is like the AU version that Rainbow Roll wrote for the book. <laughs> so it's like, it's really, really weird. Um, but it's a great book. And if you liked Harry Potter, but wished it was more diverse and uh modern um you should read carry on and the sequel wayward son comes out in 2020 and the cover is fantastic it's kevin Wada cover kevin Wada also did the paperback cover for carry on and um simon and baz are great and they're super gay so if that's also your thing then that book's for you yep very excited i keep, so i'm so gonna keep trying to get you to read carry on <laughs> <laughs> I'll get around to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we need to talk about Chris Hardwick. Ugh, must we? Yeah. Uh, we He's must. a dick. He is a dick. That's my contribution to the conversation. Um, <laughs> we need to have a conversation about um, fandom tending to our own house. And not... And clearing house of toxic abusive bullshit um for those of you who aren't in the know um chris hardwick was a accused was accused by uh his ex-girlfriend of um physically sexually and uh mentally abusing her over the span of several years um I'm just going to state for the record. The best part about that blog post is that she did not mention him once by name, and yet everyone knew who she was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm just going to say up front here, I absolutely believe her. Yeah, um, I have no reason not to. Exactly. Uh, but we need to talk about um, this bullshit of um, giving people like chris hardwick the benefit of the doubt when they don't deserve it and the um how uh fandom will just throw down on people trying to clean clean house it's not okay um we've had We've had this, uh, we've had a problem in our Star Wars fandom the last several weeks where, um, had it for a while. We, we've had it for a while. We haven't really it, talked about it cause we don't want to, but it seems to have been come to a head recently. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a little while ago, Chuck Wendig had a thread that was calling out shitty Star Wars fans and I 100% agree with that characterization. Uh, the behavior he was pointing out was 
vile, abusive, shitty behavior. Um, there's been pushback to that thread uh, that says creators and fans should not push back against that kind of behavior in fandom. Which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know how anyone can read any of Chuck's tweets from that thread and think, come away with the idea that what he was saying is that all Star Wars fans are bad. Like, he was obviously talking about a very specific group of people that seek him out and throw shit at him all the time. And he has every right to call people out on that. He has every right to condemn it and block them and and mock them. Yes. Furthermore, it is extremely valuable and worthwhile to have people with large platforms and creators shining a light on this behavior in our fandom uh, because the only way we get it to stop is to shame it into submission. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know a lot of people had said, I saw some people saying, oh, you know, just ignore it. You know, if by shining a light on it, you are giving them the platform they want. But that, I mean, okay, don't get- feed the trolls is an adage from like early internet. It doesn't work. Further- we, we have been subject to some of that vitriol and we subscribe to don't feed the trolls. And guess what? This one guy kept sending us emails, <laughs> so it didn't matter. Uh, feed the Trolls, the only thing Feed the Trolls accomplishes is shifting the entirety of the burden onto the abused and the harassed. You say Feed the Trolls because you want to sweep the issue under the rug. We ignore. We ignored the trolls to the point where we let this festering contagion take over fandom. We looked the other way and allowed this kind of behavior, this kind of abuse, harassment to be normalized because we looked the other way. We mm-hmm. let this happen. Yeah. It is on us as a fandom to deal with it, to shine a light on it, to push back and to make it abundantly clear this behavior is not acceptable. And additionally, you need to be you should be very careful Um Amplifying the words of people who say that uh, you should just ignore it, that uh, it isn't proper mm-hmm. to push back against this behavior. Yep. And you should absolutely be skeptical of people who are talking on behalf of other fans and telling them how to act when mm-hmm. they have no ties to those fans. Yep. They don't... They claim to speak for women, minorities, LGBTQ plus people, but they don't fit those brackets. They don't. We can, we cannot allow fandom to not only allow this abuse to happen, but actively normalize it by looking the other way and, that's and th- by telling people how to react. Yeah. And that's the thing that's really frustrating with those discussions is like you say oh those are just those are just you know some bad eggs you know just ignore them they want attention and it's like you know what i know those aren't the majority of star wars fans chuck wendig knows those aren't the majority of star wars fans of course he does he goes to conventions and talks with people and he says how great everyone is and how nice everyone is and how much he likes talking to the fans that go to conventions but you don't need a majority to cause real and lasting damage and star wars fandom is so big nowadays that even if you just have one percent of fans being assholes that's a large amount of people and we're not I don't think they'll ever go away. I think there will always be asshole Star Wars fans, just like there will be all assholes of every fandom and every ev- everyone. Every group of people has assholes. But the difference is if you just say, oh, that's just my crazy Uncle Roger. He's a racist. You know, no, you need to be like, that's not fucking cool, Uncle Roger. <laughs> you know and that's what we need to do is say no star wars fans we don't do this and if you want to do that then we don't want anything to do with you and something i implore you all 
to dump from your lexicon is saying that those aren't real Star Wars fans. Oh, yeah. They Please. are. They unfortunately are. They are in our house. They are Star Wars fans. And it is our responsibility to clean up yeah. our house. Yep. That means we have to acknowledge, yep, they're one of us. And we need to do something about them. Mm-hmm. So, yep, you we should absolutely be calling them shitty fans. And there have been there have been shitty fans since Star Wars was a thing. Like, I mean, it's become m- more talked about recently, which is good. But like, the the thing that frustrates me is the the people who are saying, "Oh, well, Star Wars was never political. Star Wars never, you know." You know, never had an issue with these these sorts of things, and I'm making air quotes because you know what I'm talking about with regarding diversity and the SJWs are ruining Star Wars, and it's like, it, <laughs> no, you guys, Star Wars has always been like this. Like, have you read an interview with George Lucas? <laughs> Star Wars, <laughs> like, Star Wars has always been political. Always overtly political. And George Lucas has not been shy about saying so. Star Wars was born as an anti-Vietnam critique. Yeah. So, like, and, like, saying something to the effect of, we're the ones who kept the fandom alive, and, like, we've always been here, the, you know, boys who grew up with Star Wars. Well, guess what? There were also girls that grew up with Star Wars, and there were a lot of them. And you might have been playing with them in your backyard, but just didn't think that, oh, they're fans too. Or not realize the girls might have bunched together and formed their own groups because Mm -hmm. they didn't want to play with you. (laughs) So let's be abundantly clear. There is no goddamn line of secession in Star Wars (laughs) fandom. Yeah. There is no... There is no one who, through th- who can single-handedly pass the baton. Especially- Star Wars fandom is for everybody. Uh, there is, if anyone is telling you that they alone have the keys to the kingdom, <laughs> they're yeah, full right. of bullshit, and they should not have. A platform in which to espouse that bullshit. Yeah. Like, you, Brian, you became a Star Wars fan because your dad showed you the movies. Mm-hmm. I became a Star Wars fan because my dad realized I had never seen Star Wars, showed me the first movie, and then I went on from there. Like, my dad was not a huge Star Wars fan. He was just like, oh, you should see this movie. And I watched it, and then I became obsessed. That was all me. Yeah, I, I, I went and got the books myself. It wasn't my dad. And we have a friend who became a Star Wars fan because her mom was the fan. Her dad hates Star Wars. It's her mom that got her into it. How many people do we know that don't have parents who were into the saga but just became new fans because of Rebels or Clone Wars or the sequel trilogy or the prequels? Like... There is there is no such thing as like oh well we've been fans since the originals so we should we are the, we are the ones who Yeah. I I don't understand what the whole thing is like you deserve a pat on the back cuz you've been a fan since the movie came out. Yeah, I couldn't so, have been a fan since the movie came out. I wasn't alive. <laughs> so, I mean, anyone claiming that uh they're the ones that determine who rightfully belongs in fandom just because they were a couple just because they're a couple of couple of dudes who saw this movie in 1977 and were there on ground level load of shit yeah and like it's it's like to say oh they kept fandom a lot they kept star wars fandom alive i mean really it's all of people who read the expanded universe in the 1990s that you could say maybe brought Star Wars back to life if you want to make an argument like that. <laughs> um, but you can't because then you say, okay, well, you know, then Star Wars kind of went away after the prequels and then Clone Wars came back and all those people kept Star Wars alive. So you see the point? It's a cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's always going to be a cycle and you're always going to get, we're going to get new fans with the Resistance. We're going to get new fans with whatever Ryan Johnson's movies are. It's... 
Yeah. That's I, how... St- no one owns Star Wars. Disney owns Star Wars now. Like, and it's... Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, I mean... And and the the whole thing with Chris Hardwick, which is completely opposite of Star Wars fandom, but just the whole idea of people behaving like assholes and needing to be called out on it. Like, I've read a lot of awful takes about Chris Hardwick and, like, what he did or did not do. And the one thing that really pisses me off is, like, well, you know, he shouldn't have his career ruined for this. Yes, like, he absolutely he should. He absolutely should. Like, I don't... Like... I why do you want to work with someone like that? Like he's not that great of a like what does he do? Like he hosted a podcast. He he hosted a show about The Walking Dead. Like he's not freaking Picasso, you know? Like he's well, Picasso not, should have his career ruined. Right, but like you know what I mean? Like like these people act like, "Oh my god, these people are such wonderful creative artists and like we just need to forget what they've done and just forgive them or like whatever separate the art from the artist and it's like that's a very personal that's a very personal choice for people to make when it comes to that but like as a person like why should we give him the benefit of the doubt like you shouldn't i i don't want to work with people at my job who are assholes there is always someone who is better qual who is just as qualified willing to put in the work and not an asshole <laughs> and those are the people that you should be propping up instead of people who treat other people like assholes yeah mm. so yeah so yeah long story short believe women <laughs> yes um chris hardwick's an asshole mm-hmm. uh we need to deal with abusive behavior in our fandom, mm-hmm. and uh, you should be super skeptical of anyone with a platform that tries to downplay how important it is to deal with abuse in our own house. Agreed. We need to take charge of our own fandom and keep our house clean. So, yeah. Moving yeah. on. Yes. The Star Wars corner. I'll let you take this bullet point because I need to get my blood pressure down. <laughs> well, uh, Club Jade linked to a very interesting marketing analysis for Solo, basically discussing why Solo did not do as well as predicted. Um, and the, the they determined that the main problem was the marketing. Um, that... Um, the media media analyst Doug Krutz and Stephen Glagola thinks that Star Wars lackluster performance at the box office comes down to the film's marketing not being able to sell audiences on lead Alden Ehrenreich. Mm. And basically comparing it to comparing the marketing for Rogue One to Solo, um, saying how... The first 35 seconds of the trailer almost exclusively focuses on Felicity Jones as the protagonist, Jen Erso, selling her as a new franchise hero. And then Solo, it says, the teaser by our count only had 10 seconds of screen time where all Aaron Reich's face was clearly in the picture. Not, in our opinion, nearly enough. Um, in general, we felt like the Solo marketing campaign didn't get fully up to speed until about a month before the movie came out, and that is simply too short of a window to, for a big franchise picture. So I think this is pretty much like what people were saying. Like, it was just a lot of issues, a lot of things. It wasn't that long ago after the t- the Last Jedi. They didn't start marketing it until, you know, pretty they didn't, they didn't start marketing it early enough, basically, because of when the movies were falling. But, like, I hadn't thought about the way they approached marketing, like, Alden Ehrenreich. But I think it, like, sort of makes sense. Um, and it's hard, because for a lot of people, Harrison Ford is Han Solo. <laughs> and the two of them are very, very uh, intertwined. Um, I thought Alden Ehrenreich was great. Um and it's not to say, like, I didn't like him in the role, but I don't... Uh, there is something to be said for um, that they didn't, like, push him 
as much as they pu- might have pushed mm-hmm. like Jin Erso as the star. Yeah, the I mean, I I agree that there were marketing issues. I think th- I think that I think that analysis overstates how much of a problem the marketing was. Mm-hmm. Marketing was an issue, yes, but um, I I honestly I think the big problem is that it just wasn't compelling enough of a concept for the mass audience Mm -hmm. and no amount of marketing is going to fix that i feel like it might have been a little um i i i agree but i also feel like if it had come out in december i think it would have fared better in december yeah because people still think it would do underwhelming numbers but it would have fared better right because it would have been a year since the star wars it would have been the yearly star wars and people would have been like i haven't seen star wars in a year let's go see it you know this was just like it was right after infinity war and people were just tired (laughs) well this was this was a super cramped window i mean you had infinity war you have deadpool uh, then solo and then you've got incredibles now uh, jurassic Jurassic park is this week and throwing oceans eight in there for good measure that's six films in the span of a month month and a half yeah that is asking way too much of the movie going audience i feel like this is just the this is a nail in the coffin and they should say december always don't deviate it works. <laughs> Star Wars and the holidays just goes well together. It works. Just keep doing it. Thank God we have episode nine in December again. Yeah. 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 Um, we didn't talk about this because it was a long time ago and we had a bunch of other stuff to talk about. But um, at the solar premiere, uh, John Favreau was there and um, someone asked him about resist about um, his live action show. Um, which we don't really know anything about except John Favreau is writing it and show running it. Um, but he kind of let slip that his show is taking place seven years after the Battle of Yavin, which would make it three years after the Battle of Endor, which makes Brian and Nancy uh, very happy. It's my jam! It's my time frame jam! <laughs> so yeah, this book... this. And it's very interesting because this is, that would put it two years after Jakku. So peace is going on, which makes me wonder, what the heck is this show going to be about? And I'm really eager to hear something about the time frame or who's going to be in it or whatever. Um, But then again, we even don't really know that much about Resistance yet. That's coming out this year, so... We gotta be getting close to uh, some promo materials for Resistance coming out. We have no news, and I want news. <laughs> so yeah, that's all we know so far. All right, shall we move on to our discussion topic this week? Yes. What are we talking? We've been about? wanting to talk about this for a while, uh, but we always had other things to talk about. So we are going back to, uh, I believe it was April. Uh, yeah, April. Uh, Shauna McGuire, who is uh, a very prolific author, uh, she writes under Shauna McGuire and Mira Grant. She had a novella in Canto Bite, um, the the four novella novel that came out about uh, before the Last Jedi, um, and she had a Twitter thread about fan fiction which struck a lot of chords and so she turned it into an article for for tour.com called the bodies of the girls who made me fanfic and the modern world and um we want to talk about it because we uh really like fan fiction fan fiction has a special place in our relationship <laughs> mm-hmm. uh we met because of fan fiction so um you could say that we don't like when people talk shit about it um and the article is just basically talking about that's that whole idea of the the way people look down on fanfic and why and how fanfic you know has how how like a generation of authors have basically grown up writing and reading fanfic and now they're getting published um and why fanfic gets has such a bad reputation um among you know 
fandom. Um, and we could talk about that forever. We really could. Because <laughs> we have experienced that many times. So um, there's there's one section I I wanted to read and then we can talk about it. So this is like from the middle of the article and it uh, says, an MFA takes three years. My path from fanfic newbie to published author took me more than a decade. It's not a structured school. There aren't classes or finals. You don't get a degree. How fast you learn is tied to how fast you listen, and you can stop whenever you find the place that makes you happy. Going pro is not the br brass ring for every fanfic author, nor should it be. Fanfic is a genre unto itself in some ways, and there are people who thrive with its within its conventions and constraints who would be miserable doing anything else but a not inconsiderable number of us started writing fanfic because we wanted to live the stories that we loved and then discovered that we loved telling stories we wanted to do art always and forever and maybe maybe when we wanted to tell our own stories or i'm sorry and maybe maybe we wanted to tell our own stories maybe we wanted to change the default can you imagine the audacity graduates of a school that doesn't cost money with a student body made of mostly women changing the default because here's where i'm going to pivot a little and tell you a filthy filthy secret lots of men write fanfic too it's just that sometimes they can get away with calling it homage or public domain or licensed work and get on with their bad selves maybe more importantly the world calls it the, all those things Fuzzy Nation? Fanfic. Wicked? Fanfic. Every X-Men comic written since Claremont stopped? Fanfic. Your beloved Hamilton? Real person fanfic. Songfic, even. When men write fanfic, there is a tendency for the media to report on it as transformative and transgressive and a new take on a classic story. When women do it, the same media goes, he, 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 she wrote about dicks. Am I blaming the men who tell these stories? Fuck no. Anybody gets to tell the story, any story they want to, but when the conversation is always framed as he makes literature, she writes trash, that is the schema people seize upon. That is the narrative we live. Bravo, Shannon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, we were talking about this earlier. I think you have you wrote fanfic much longer than I did. <laughs> I was and earlier than I did. I was writing fan fiction from regularly from about 2005 to 2011, I think. Um yeah, so I, I was I was active for a long time. And that was pretty much like your f whole fandom then. Yeah, uh my Star Wars fandom at that point was pretty much just uh the books and fan fiction. Um, I was not really following Clone Wars at all. Um, I wasn't really following a whole lot of stuff that was actively being re uh, released outside of the uh, outside of the literature front. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was fandom for me. And I started. I started much later. I I have I have read fanfic on and off for you know for a while. Um, mostly I just read Luke and Mara fanfic because that's what I wanted to read. But, um, I, I didn't really seek out fanfic because I was getting my master's degree. I was in college. I was really busy reading books for school and I basically only kept up with Star Wars books and I didn't have time or the desire to read anything else. And my feeling was if I was going to be spending my time reading Star Wars, I wanted to keep up with what was canon and what was coming out at the time. Um, the What happened was that I stopped liking the books <laughs> and uh, they killed Mara Jade um, I stopped reading for a while. For several years, I stopped reading Star Wars books, and I kind of stopped reading altogether then. Um, and um, I got back into fandom in around 2010, and I started reading the books again. Um, but I was I was missing Mara a lot, and I was like, "Well, here's fanfic that I can read." So I started reading it, and then I was like. I should go back and 
re- revisit this fic that I wrote like in 20, 2005 and I did and I posted it and some guy commented on it. <laughs> That's you. And then a few years later they got married. <laughs> Results not typical. <laughs> but yeah, so I uh I just wrote that and then I was like I had an idea for another one and then I had an idea for another one and then I was writing novel length fanfic. And um that was when I really realized that I could write, that I'd always liked to write, but I never really wrote fiction. That was when I re- learned I, I could write, and I liked it. Um, and I wrote, I only wrote fanfic for about two years, but I wrote pretty pretty hard and pretty fast. And then I got an idea for a story, and I realized, actually, this would make a good book. And I wrote it. and. Six years later, I'm revising that book again into a new version of that story. <laughs> so, yeah, I am pretty much that whole idea of got started writing fanfic, only I was much older than a lot of a lot of the people who who, um you know, are fanfic turned pros. But the thing that frustrates me a lot about fanfic is the way it's treated in fandom. Um, and I think a lot of that is true because of that it is a very typical um, female-focused endeavor. Um, and obviously, Brian, your experience is going to be different here. <laughs> but like, pretty much almost everyone I knew that wrote fanfic when I was writing it were women. <laughs> um, most of what I read was focused on Luke and Mara, so it was very heavy on the relationship sort of thing and the romance sort of part. Um, but it it seems like there is a very much a negative of all fanfic is trash, and for me, like that's counterintuitive because writing is really hard and time consuming. And sure, there is a lot of trash out there, but there's also a lot of a lot of good a lot of good fic. And I think it takes a lot longer to write, like, a novel-length story than to do a piece of... I I mean, it might take as much time to do a very, like, elaborate piece of fan art. And I'm not trying to, like, discourage art because I am, like, the worst artist whatsoever. But, like, it took me a year to write one of my stories, you know? Um, And... I can't go to Delray and be like, here's my profile of Star Wars stories that I've written. Can I work for you? (laughs) But there are people who have gotten like jobs doing art because they do fan art. And there are people who do fan art commissions and there are pros like Phil Noto who just randomly draw Star Wars stuff because they want to. So there's very much a difference in how fandom approaches fanfic versus other. Yeah. I mean, part of it is a legality thing, but... Um, very much. But um, it the way fanfiction is treated, uh, just apart from that, like, just in terms of its non-mo- non-money-making merit, um, it... The perception is very different, and I think a lot of it has to do with, um, there's, the perception is women are the ones that are writing fan fiction, and we all know what society thinks about things that women like and do. Mm-hmm. Constantly downplays their value. Yep. Uh, and I think that very much, uh, extends into the realm of fan fiction. Yeah. Um, so... You are a guy. Uh-huh, correct. <laughs> you, like, what was that experience like as you writing fanfic? Because, you know, it was very much a female-centric sort of endeavor. <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't really have much of an audience uh, because <laughs> I was not writing what that community was looking for. I was looking for it. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely different. Um, I was very much sort of an outsider on, in that community, 
uh, when I was writing and, um, like I said, uh, the stuff I was writing was pretty different, uh, from the stuff that everyone else was. And a lot of that has really does have to do with the fact that I was a guy writing more military style fan fiction. And there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, when I like started reading your stuff, I'm like, I want more of the X-Wing books. <laughs> so this is great. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was pretty much writing X-Wing books because uh, up until Mercy Kill, no one else, there were no X-Wing books after uh, Adamar. Um, so that was my whole, that was my whole shtick. And I think that's, a, that's one of the other things like this article focuses on is that people write fanfic because you're not getting what you want. So you write it and like you, if you don't see enough women in the fandom that you write for, you might write a f- stories with a lot more women in them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you can basically make the characters do whatever you want uh if you don't like that it's star wars is angsty you can write fluffy stories if you want more serious stories you can write the most angsty emo stories that you want i mean the the important really the important thing fan fiction does is it's it gives people the opportunity to course correct mm-hmm. a fandom uh and be transformative and to write about characters who aren't being shown on the screen mm-hmm. or in the books. I'm talking about um, I'm talking about LGBT characters, minorities, uh, women, um, demographics that aren't properly portrayed within the source material. And fan fiction gives fan fiction gives uh, gives people the opportunity to fix that themselves. And that's why we say all the time that trans fan fiction is transformative. Yep. Yeah. And like so much of our media is transformative works. Like look at the MCU. You could say that that's fanfic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, let me actually let me actually say this. The reason why The Force Awakens works so well for me, and this is going to sound horribly derogatory, but it's not, but The Force Awakens works so well for me because it took the it took the transformative liberties of fan fiction and put it on the screen. Yeah. And that's why I love the movie so much. Yeah, I agree. It. I mean, yeah, it's 100% agreed. Um, I... I mean, like, I, I say it as a joke, like, the MCU is fanfiction, but it's taking other stories and updating them and basically making AUs. <laughs> uh, so, like, and that's sort of what I wish they would do for, like, the, like, legend stories that I like is, like, update them as AUs for the new canon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like... You know, how many times have we seen a Batman movie or a Superman movie or like, and we don't, it's not even like, you know, you have so-and-so's interpretation of this character. So to say like, you know, it's just, it's just frustrating when people will say, I heard so many times, why don't you write your own stories? And it's like, well, because right now I want to write about these characters um, but also, like, fan fiction gives you the chance to practice and to learn how you work as a writer. Um, and I doubt I would ever have gotten the confidence to write original novels if I hadn't started with fanfic. And also, like, you get, like, feedback that's instant when you are posting fanfic that you will never get as a published author. <laughs> Or as a pro author, like you throw up a you throw up a chapter of a fic and you can get kudos or comments and it's like oh people like me. You when you start doing pro, you do not get that Mm-mm. right away. 
And even then you get like a fraction of the response because a lot of people aren't going on Amazon and writing reviews or, you know, ranking things on Goodreads. And even if they are, you're not seeking that out for your own sanity. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, like, look at some, look at people like Chrissy Golden. Chrissy Golden's career is writing tie-in novels. Right now, she works for Blizzard, writing, like, novel. She just had another novel come out, and she's writing, like, the gameplay. Like, that's, the that's like, an amazing career. <laughs> and, like, I don't see how that is any less valid than someone who just writes original fiction, you know? Like, she has... She has so she has written so many books and I, more power to her. I think I think she's great and I don't think there's anything negative about writing Italian fiction, but it's funny cuz Italian fiction also gets the same sort of um stigma in certain literary communities. So I'm I'm hoping that sort of goes away as more of the former fanfiction authors get to write in the properties that they once wrote fanfiction for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember, like, people would always criticize the EU and say, it's just glorified fanfiction. And I'm like, that's not how words work. Fanfiction means fiction written by fans, a.k.a. you're not paid for it. So it can't be like that. Also, fanfic is great, so shut up. Exactly. <laughs> I am not here for you uh, shitting on fan fiction because I love it. Yes. Fan fiction is great. Yes. We should pimp, like, a favorite fanfic story. Do you have a favorite fan? I have a favorite well, one. you're going to pick Son of Sons. I am going to pick Son of Sons. Uh, it's on fanfiction.net because this is how long ago it was oh the pit i wish it was on ao3 <laughs> but yes uh fanfiction.net uh the author is blank 101 and it's called the son of sons trilogy the first one is into the storm and it is an alternate universe that starts at the end of empire strikes back where luke is captured by vader and brought to the emperor and eventually turns to the dark side and eventually, spoilers, becomes Emperor, and it's wonderful. And yes, I am pimping a Dark Luke story because it's that good. Yep. That's how Dark Empire should have been written. It is! Actually, it shouldn't because then we, we didn't have Return of the Jedi and true, that made me sad. True, true. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I stumped Brian. Yeah, I... I, I can't give you an answer right now. I, I'd have to think about it. Um, but yeah, I love fan fiction. Yeah. It's great. And you know what's really frustrating is like, even though I we had this talk and talk about how like fan fiction needs to be treated better in fandom and like it shouldn't be looked down upon, is I still won't link to my fanfics in public. <laughs> and I deliberately keep those two screen names separate so people can't go find my fanfic uh, unless they read it before. It's so frustrating, Brian. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, well, I think that about does it for this topic. Yes. Fan fiction. Love it. Read it. Embrace it. It's wonderful. It is. All right. This episode of Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by you, our Patreon subscribers. That's patreon.com slash Tashi Station. Uh, subscri subscribe for $1. Uh, that gets you in and uh, into our patron-exclusive Slack team. Uh, we'd like to uh, thank... Uh, Tom, uh, actually, I should probably go look up who has recently joined <laughs> us. Uh, da, 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 da. Tom, Liz, and Christine, I believe. Oh, yes. Uh, have joined us recently, uh, at the $1 level. Uh, that's, a, again, that's all you need to get in with the Patreon-exclusive Slack team. You can talk with us, and we regularly mine our Patreon Slack. Yes. Uh, for show content. And discussion topics and ideas. So you can help us program these shows uh, just by backing us on Patreon. 
On Twitter, you can find us with the handles Tashi underscore station. That's the official show account. You can find Nancy with Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. On Facebook, we're the Tashi Station Network. Uh, you can find our columns and news at Tashi-Station.net. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you do, what you hear, uh, do leave a review. It helps us uh, get out to a bit of a bigger audience. Thanks for listening to another episode. We'll catch you all next time. Bye. TSR is brought to you by you, our Patreon subscribers. Visit patreon.com slash Station to help us keep the lights on and to get access to our Patreon-exclusive Slack team.